0: Hello and welcome to another episode of our Outlier Founders series, where we dig into the ideas, frameworks, and strategies used by the world's best founders. I'm Daniel Scribner, and on the show today, I'm joined by Adrian Oun, founder and CEO of Forward, which is building an insurance-free healthcare system focused on preventative healthcare from the ground up. Forward was founded in 2017 to invert the typical model of healthcare, where most healthcare follows the service model, where one patient sees a single doctor whenever they need care. Forward is building healthcare focused on health and preventative care. That's productized, so you can use it anytime, anywhere, scalable, so it's affordable to everyone, and always on with help available through the Forward app and a network of offices around the U.S. Which might sound like, well, how healthcare should have been all along, which is the goal. And to be clear, Forward is tackling a massive problem in the United States. In 2021, healthcare spending accounted for a full 19.7% of GDP. That's a full one-fifth. And that number is compounding at a rate of 6-7% to year-over-year, which begs the question, how is that even possible, and what happens when healthcare as a percentage rises to 30 or even 40% of GDP, which is a likely scenario that Adrian talks through in this episode. Before founding Forward, Adrian worked as an advisor to the White House on the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, as well as a director of special projects for the CEO of Google and the founder of Sidewalk Labs. This episode is a special one, in it we cover why Adrian is fanatical about being problem focused rather than solution focused, what he learned leading special projects for Sergey Brin at Google, why Forward is focused on productizing healthcare to bring down the cost of treatments, make healthcare available 24-7, help customers manage all aspects of their health, and increase the pace of innovation and iteration. Adrian shares his perspective on what happens as a percentage of GDP dedicated to healthcare reaches 30 and even 40%. And Adrian talks through how he uses extreme perspectives to pick apart complex issues and come to ground truths. You can find the show notes and transcript for this episode at outlieracademy.com slash 118. That's 118. And you can learn more about Forward at goforward.com. With that, please enjoy my conversation with Adrian Allen, founder and CEO of Forward. Adrian, welcome to Outlier Academy. I am so thrilled to have you on to talk about what you're building at Forward. Thank you for the time.
1: Not at all. It's exciting to be here. Thanks so much for having me. So I want to
0: start, because I can't not start here, with talking about your background. Because, you know, just to read off a few things, um, you know, you've worked as an advisor to the White House on the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. You were the founder of Sidewalk Labs. You were the director of special projects for the CEO at Google. Incredibly impressive. Very, you know, it's not traditional things you find on, on someone's resume. Give us a quick sketch of your background and your journey through these roles, because they seem disconnected. I'm sure they all make sense somehow.
1: (laughs) Yeah, sure. So, you know, most people, uh, maybe the way they think about their lives is they think about it by industry, right? They say, like, I'm a healthcare person, or I'm an education person, or whatnot. I've taken a very different approach. Um, I've kind of always just been fascinated with uh, with kind of problems more than solutions, and so I actually kind of always walk around for it. And I tell people, ah, you know, like solutions don't really matter; problems matter, and intimately understand problems. And and what I've always been interested in is how can I help people, right? And when I look at when I look at humanity, when I look at society, I see like, well, oh God, we have like so much pain. We have so many problems in the world. And when you kind of start to to peel back the layers of the onion, you realize that you can solve those problems problems with so many different facets, right? You can solve them with policy, you can solve them with AI, you can solve them with education, you can solve them with healthcare. And that's what's driven me into so many different sectors, right? But I've mostly kind of all had the one common thread, which is I've tried to live my life fundamentally just in service of others. And I know that sounds really kitschy and I said, really awful, but, but in some ways I've just from, from day one, just always tried to say, well, what can I do to help? now early on um i uh, i dove in a lot into kind of computers like like any uh like any good nerd right i got into computers and i spent a lot of time in the world of ai turns out that my dad, uh, my dad was a linguist. He studied under Chomsky. And if you think about what linguistics is, it's really trying to just understand, like, how does the brain really understand language? It turns out that, you know, what you learn in third, fourth, fifth, sixth grade English books that teach you language, it turns out you can feed all of those books into a computer and it's still not enough for uh, for you to actually understand language it turns out that your brain is doing something else and this is what linguists are trying to figure out is what is that something else what do you intuitively know about language and so this is this was my first interest it was like figuring out if we can figure this out if we can kind of codify this ai maybe we can make computers intelligent and have them help us even more so i spent a bunch of time in the world of ai And in that, I started a company that Google ended up acquiring. Now, once I did that, I spent some time at Google. um, And actually, kind of that started kind of going along this interesting path because then I said, well, how else can I help people? And, uh, and our CEO at the time was Larry Page. Larry asked me to come kind of um, spend some time as his right-hand man. And I spent a few years running special projects for all of Google, right? And what I, in essence, did was I spent time creating the alphabet companies, which was in essence, like, basically, I was a kid in a, in a candy store. I was like, hey, Google's got a lot of money. Let's see what companies we can create to go solve the world's problems. Like, what, what could be more fun than that, right? So you're right. I started Sidewalk Labs, just working on uh, solving urban environment problems. But one of the things that we all so did was we said, well, can we take our knowledge of, of technology and our knowledge of how we operate across the globe, and can we use that to kind of even help out at, uh, at the White House? So um, Eric Schmidt, who, I was, uh, who I'm pretty close to, he said, well, why don't we go ahead and get involved? This was during the Obama administration and see if we can go kind of uh, give a hand over there. Now, I'm not a policy expert. I know very little about policy. So what, in essence, what I did was I just said, look, I'm going to go ahead and, uh, and just give some insight on where I think technology is going. The reality is, in the world of policy, this ends up being a paper that goes to a committee, that goes to a policy, that goes to a bill, that goes to, I don't really know. At the end of the day, I'm someone who likes to build. This is why I'm not in politics and probably never will be. So I spent only a little time there. Um, uh, and then basically I said, look, this is really great, but I want to go back to building. And, uh, and so what I did was I left Google to, uh, to start this company forward. Now, now the reality is, I don't have a background in healthcare. I've never been interested in healthcare. In fact, today I'm not interested in healthcare. In fact, when I, when people come to me and they tell me they're interested in healthcare, I almost look at them like like they're a little crazy. I'm like, what part of this industry interests interest you? Is it is it the billing codes? Is it the paperwork? Is it the like the insurance companies? Like like literally, it's like it's fucking awful. Like why are you interested in this? Right. Um, on the other hand, I am interested in helping people. And I saw it pretty viscerally. I had a, a pretty close family member of mine who had a heart attack a few years ago. And I went from not paying attention to this to like overnight being pretty laser focused. And then I said, okay, this is broken. This this is garbage, right? And, and then in the year 2022, you look around you and you go like, wait a minute, we've got technology and everything. You know, I'll give you an example. You've seen Ford. You've seen what it's like, right? You walk into our exam rooms and you've got this beautiful touch screen on a wall. You've got a model of your body and all the data has been overlaid on top. And I remember right after we launched Ford, I brought the CEO of Kaiser in, right? The, The U.S.'s largest healthcare system. I bring him in and he looks at Ford. He walks around. He looks at our body scanner. He looks at that screen and he says, I've seen the future. He's like, this is the most advanced healthcare system I've ever seen. Of course I'm sitting there and I'm thinking, well, of course because I'm so smart and I'm so great and I'm and I'm, you know, obviously pretty full of myself and I'm feeling pretty good. But then I take a step back and I'm like, "Wait a minute. We started this company 12 months ago. I have no background in healthcare. Like what the hell is going on right now, right?" And I realize like, "Wait, you know what? Like think about it like you walk into mcdonald's and there's a touch screen on the wall right like why why would you walk into healthcare is there no touch screen like it's not that we're so advanced it's that the, it's all of healthcare is so fucking backwards like how did we end up in this world and you realize that like the healthcare industry is so broken so backwards that it's just time for us to like bring some level of just basic competence to the industry right so, so one, of the, one of the things I always think about is like, can we just not kick you when you walk in the front door? If we don't kick you when we walk in the front door, we're probably doing something right, you know, because at least then we're beating the existing system. So, so to answer your original question, it might look like I've taken a circuitous route, but in some ways, all I've tried to do is just help people along my path. Yeah. You
0: covered a tremendous amount of ground there, so I want to try to pull on a couple of those threads. One of the things you said at the beginning that intrigues me is that you're focused on problems and that most people are focused on solutions. What do you think is important about being problem-oriented and why is that not something that's more common?
1: Yeah. So, think about how we uh, how we go through life, right? If one of your friends says, "Hey, I'm leaving my job. I'm going to go start a company." What's what's the first thing you ask? "What are you doing?" Right? It's Uber for, I don't know, Uber for kittens. So it's like, okay, well, it's, it's my idea, right? We love our ideas. In fact, think of how often, I don't know, in high school or at your first job, you're like, oh, I spent all weekend, you know, uh, working on my project and I'm gonna come and I'm gonna present it. And then somebody pokes a hole in your idea. What do you do? You get all defensive on your idea, but no, but no, you get emotionally attached, right? And so I like to remind people, you are not your idea. I promise you, you're not, right? We have this, we have this concept of forward, which is that we love to beat up ideas. And some people get really uncomfortable with that. They're like, what do you mean you're beating up my idea? Sometimes people come in, uh, we have a meeting type called a jam where we where we work through problems. And, uh, and we attack ideas, we attack them. And and people are like, don't attack my idea. You're attacking me. I'm like, no, I'm not attacking you. I'm attacking the idea. I mean, it makes people really uncomfortable sometimes because we are so trained to believe that ideas matter more than problems. And it's like, no, no, no. So if you go around forward and you ask people, what is forward? Nobody is going to say forward builds doctor's offices. In fact, we don't. That's not, that's not what we do. We get healthcare to billions of people. Why? Well, it turns out problems tend not to change and solutions change all the time. And you know this because whatever solution you ship, you're going to ship it. You're going to go look at it and you're going to be like, okay, this is what I learned. I've got some new data. Now let's ship a new version, a new version, a new version. That's called iteration. So by definition, whatever idea you have, let's just agree it's crap. You just don't know why it's crap yet, right? And so we just took the stance from day one, which is like, let's focus on the problems, not on the solutions. So forward's goal, our goal is really simple. We want to get healthcare to billions of people. Now, what do we do today? We build doctor's offices and we put doctors in them. Well, you know that healthcare for a billion people doesn't have doctor's offices and doesn't have doctors in it. Our whole goal is to build the world's most scalable healthcare, and we haven't yet figured out how to do it, but we're working along the path to doing so. It's a little like when Elon comes out and says, I'm going to solve climate change. Here's a $140,000 sports car. It's like, well, hold on, what are you doing? It's like, it's okay. That's his model S. One day he's gonna figure out his model three. And you know what? The model three isn't gonna get, isn't gonna solve climate change. One day he's gonna figure out the model one. He just hasn't done it yet, right? And this is okay. It is you should attach yourself to problems, not solutions. But this is really hard for us because we really like to attach ourselves to well-understood concepts. But at Ford, we take a very different stance. We always try to understand what is the problem, and we try to more intimately understand the problem than the solution.
0: Yeah. I love that. I mean, for so many reasons. I think, one, at least in my experience, people attach themselves to ideas because they feel like, you know, it's a competition in some regards. My idea is better than yours. And we attach value to this precious, wonderful little thing we spent 30 seconds thinking up in our mind. I love the way you described why orienting around problems is so important. Um, It's fantastically well said. I want to ask one more question. You know, you talked about your experience on the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology. And it sounds like you enjoyed it. You maybe learned some things, obviously not the place you want to be long-term for, for many well-understood reasons. One of the things you said was that you had described um and shared your perspective on where technology was going. Can you either one walk us through some of that if it's easier to kind of talk through your your you know your thinking then or walk us through your current thinking at a high level on where technology is going. I'm curious to get your perspective there.
1: So basically what what I was asked to do and to be clear, this was a side project. This was not this is not my day job. But what I was asked to do was basically to, to just say, okay, what, hey, Adrian, what's the future of transportation? Hey, Adrian, what's the future of education? Hey, Adrian, what's the, what's the future of food? And um, I'm asked this a lot. Frankly, we're asked, you know, we have to, we have to go through this in, in forward all the time. And whenever somebody asks me this, one of the things that I do is, uh, is I kind of have to in some ways come up with like the definitive right answer. On something that's like a very long-term question, it's an incredibly hard thing to do. It's like, how do you predict technology? And so what I do is I don't try and predict technology. I just try and predict first principles. And so let's just ask ourselves, we can just do this right now. Let's just ask ourselves a really, really simple um, uh, thing. It's just called the thought experiment. So we can do this at Ford, right? Let's just take healthcare um, and let's just take things to the limit. So um, 100 years from now, 1,000 years from now, whatever time frame you want, but at the limit... Do you believe that healthcare will cost a billion dollars per person or zero dollars per person? Which do you think? You think zero dollars per person?
0: Probably zero. Okay.
1: So first thing is we think healthcare is going to get really cheap. Awesome. Okay. Do you think that, uh, that you're going to, uh, that healthcare is going to use all the data or none of the data? Probably all the data. Do so you know what? I think that healthcare is going to trend towards more and more data. Okay, great. Do we think that healthcare, that you're going to see your doctor once a year, or you're going to see your doctor once a minute? Probably once a minute. So we believe that healthcare is going to get more and more connected. Okay. Do we believe that healthcare is going to be um, in one place in a city called a doctor's office, or healthcare is just going to be all around us and just kind of the technology and the fabric and the infrastructure is going to be everywhere? probably everywhere. Okay. So we believe there's going to be an infrastructure-based world of healthcare. And so we go through these thought experiments. And once we list out a whole bunch of parameters, you can kind of say, well, look, at the limit, this is what healthcare looks like. And you can do this with anything. You can do this with transportation. You can do this with, with education, etc. And look, I can't tell you when. I can't tell you exactly what it's going to look like, but I can kind of give you a rough sketch of where it's going. It's just not that hard. Does that kind of make sense? No, it, it totally makes sense. I I love the way you describe it as well too. I mean in some
0: regards it almost feels like a straw man argument of choosing these two polar extremes, but it's a, it's a you know it's incredibly clarifying because it usually tends towards one of those extremes or the other. And I like the way you framed it as, you know, at the extremes, at the at the kind of edge. One last question you know that special projects for the CEO role sounds very special. Do you have one of those at Forward, and if not, why not?
1: <laughs> well, first off, I don't think we make sixty billion dollars a quarter, so to uh, so no. Um, uh, we, uh, but I'll, I'll call you when we do. No, look, the reason that um, Larry and I created that role. Um, frankly, was because Google uh, had a lot of trouble innovating. Um, uh, It's classic, you know, uh, Christensen, innovator's dilemma sort of notion. You see it today. Um, I I love Google, so I'm not trying to um, speak down to anybody there, but let's be real, like, point to the innovative things that Google is doing um, that they haven't purchased. Like, I'm not sure what they are, Um, and there's a reason I'm not there. Now, fundamentally, um, when you look at a startup like ours, um, I don't think we need that role. In fact, I think it would be a terrible idea for us to have that role. The entire company is innovating. And if the entire company at Forward today is not innovating, we should all pack up and go home because we're in our infancy. We have not gotten healthcare to a billion people. We haven't figured out the roadmap to do that. And so I don't think that's the, you know, it's uh, one of the things I always say is like, you know, go look for companies that hire their chief innovation officer and short them. The second you see us do anything of that sort, um, you know that we're, it's the beginning of the end. Does that kind of give yeah, you a yeah. sense of it? Yes.
0: Yes. No, very well said. So I want to go back to, I want to start to dive into forward a little bit more. And one of the strings I want to pull on maybe to start is you talked about, and it's really simple, really elegant framing, that what you're building up forward is trying to build the most scalable version of healthcare. And so I want to talk a little bit about one, why is traditional healthcare not scalable? And, you know, one of the examples there I I thought about before this interview is, you know, it feels like healthcare today feels very much like a service model. It's a service industry model versus something that's been productized, something that can truly scale. In your mind, I guess I want to ask two questions. One is, what is the root of that problem? And what are you focused on there? And what are some of the solutions that you're finding that are starting to help you guys get to more and more scalable versions of healthcare?
1: So if I come up to you and I say, hey, I want to get doctors to billions of people. I want to get doctors to the middle of India. I want to get doctors to the middle of Rwanda to billions of people. You're going to say, "Uh, sounds good, Adrian. Where are you going to get all these doctors and who's going to pay for them? But if I tell you, I want to get smartphones to the whole planet, I want to get smartphones to the middle of India, the middle of Rwanda, to the whole planet, you're going to say, Adrian, not only do I think it's possible, I think you're a little late to the game, right? I think it's kind of already happened. So what do you intuitively know? Well, you intuitively know that, uh, that technology scales in a way that humans don't. You intuitively know that hardware and software scales in a way that doctors don't. Another way to say it is exactly what you said. We only have one insight at Ford that we believe that nobody else believes. We believe healthcare should be a product, not a service. We just believe that roughly everything in healthcare should just be a, a hardware and software problem, not a human problem. So all we want to do is take roughly 99% of what doctors and nurses, et cetera, do and just move it into hardware and software and free them up, like build them the world's best tools so that they can go off and do interesting things, not all the nonsense that they do today, right? Now you ask, well, okay, but how do you do that? And it's really simple, really simple equation. All you do is you build doctor's offices. We've got, I don't know, order of about, I think we're live in 25 cities or something of of that ilk. And, uh, and we watch everything that happens inside of them, right? You come in, you sit in the exam chair, you talk to your doctor about the flu. Great, let's go ahead and move that into the mobile app. Now you don't have to come in, sit in the exam chair and talk to the doctor about the flu. Next person comes in, they talk to their doctor about the heart issues, build a body scanner. Next person comes in, they talk to their doctor about their skin issues. Let's go ahead and let's build a skin scanner. Slowly but surely, what you realize we're doing is we're just building hardware and software for every part of the healthcare system until one day you're left with there's just hardware and software. And that's the route that we're going down. That's the path. That's the path that we want to take. Does that kind of give you a, a, a good sense of it? Yes. So why then
0: do you think that traditional healthcare care is so anchored to this service model? And or you maybe said another way, why does it seem like we're stuck in that in traditional healthcare and that it's never been productized?
1: well, let's start. uh, Whenever whenever you see this sort of stuff, I always start by saying, well, follow the dollars, my friend. So it just turns out. So remember I told you about that visit from the CEO of Kaiser. And one of the things he looked at was he looked at my body scanner and he was like, that body scanner is so cool. I've got, I don't know, 40,000 nurses just doing the same thing that your body scanner does. And I was sitting there and I was like, what just happened, right? We just built this body scanner, let's be real, some number of months. And I was like, again, obviously I'm thinking we're so badass, we're so cool, we're so awesome, but let's be real, like, come on, like this, like something systemically broke here. Like, we're, we're not that badass. And so then I asked myself, well, what, well, hold on, how's the healthcare system work? And what you realize is, and this is, this is going to blow your mind, he would make less money if he had our body scanner less money. And you're like, "What are you talking about?" No, Adrian, he would say he would make more money because he would save those 40,000 nurses, obviously. Nope. Because he wouldn't have a billing code. He wouldn't have a billing code. What the fuck? So, you know, before starting forward, when I was at uh, when I was at Alphabet and I was running my special projects thing, I went and uh, I asked um, Tom Lee, really nice guy. He's the uh, the founder of One Medical. I asked him to grab lunch because honestly, I was pretty interested in just buying One Medical. I didn't, you know, I didn't want to start for it. I was just going to buy One Medical, give him a billion dollars and say, okay, go, go change healthcare. So I had lunch with him and I said, okay, Tom, imagine you had a billion dollars. Hypothetically, what would you do with it? And he said, oh, well, in healthcare, uh, technology investment is not ROI positive. Now, let me be clear. Tom is a really nice guy, but this is the dumbest statement I've ever heard in my entire life, right? In healthcare technology investments, not ROI positive. In gardening, it's ROI positive. What the fuck are you talking about? But think about what he was saying. He was saying he doesn't get the money back because the billing codes don't change, right? He has no incentive to do the right thing for people. That's fucked up, man. That's bad. And so what did we say? Well, the first act of forward, right? Get insurance companies out of the ball game. Get the, literally get billing codes out of every part of what we do. So that was step one. Step two was to understand that employers are just a big a problem in this. So you ever notice like, you know, when you're at Square or whatever, like I'm sure Square was coming up to you being like, yeah, hey, Daniel, you know, once a year, like time to get your flu shot, time to get your flu shot, time to get your flu shot. I don't know, Daniel, like, Is there some big rash of flu deaths going on that that I don't know about? Like, how many of your friends are dying of the flu? Like, how many? Come on. None. Not a single one. Right. So, like, what the hell? Right. But how many of your friends are dying of, I don't know, heart disease, cancer? Okay, they are. But did Square ever walk up to you and be like, Daniel, time to talk about your cholesterol. Come on. You got to get it down. Nope. Not a single time. Not a single time. Why? Well, it just turns out that. The average Square employee was with Square for, I don't know, probably two years, maybe three. So here's the deal. You get the flu, you're out some, a couple of days of work, maybe you take somebody with you, they're out some money. But let's be real, that cholesterol, that, that heart disease, that's going to that's gonna affect you in 30 years. They don't want to know about it, right? They just literally, they, they'd rather, la, 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 let's pretend we didn't hear about it, you know, because that's going to cost them money to start preventing it. Like, think of how fucked up that is. They're not trying to keep you healthy. They're trying to keep you healthy right now, right? And you know this. You actually intuitively know this because if you if one of your friends comes up to you and they're like, Oh, I didn't get my checkup this year, I skipped it, I didn't go to the doctor for my checkup. You're not like, oh, geez, Bobby's gonna die. No, you're like, whatever, Bobby, it doesn't make a difference. Like, you know, going to the doctor doesn't matter. In fact, you know it so viscerally that all your friends are like, Oh, I'm going to go read Goop or buy an organic smoothie to like prevent cancer. What the fuck are you talking about? You think an organic smoothie is going to prevent cancer? Method soap is going to prevent cancer? That's how desperate we are. Literally, like we don't go to our doctors to prevent cancer. This This is how desperate we are. In fact, the only time you get a cancer doctor is after you get cancer. Well, do you put brakes on your car after the accidents? Like this is fucked up. Like this is bad. We've created a healthcare system that's only focused on short-term health. Like last five times you went to the doctor, how much you want to bet it was for flus, rashes, stomach aches. Well, okay guys, but I'm going to die someday. Can we talk about that?
0: (laughs) I mean, you covered so much interesting territory there. I want to go back to something that you said at the beginning, which was around getting the health codes out of forward. Because part of that, I imagine, I want to try to link that approach and that goal with the, you know, the membership model that you have. Cause obviously if I was in your shoes, you know, forward is a, is a membership model. And you kind of answered one of the questions that I hadn't really articulated in my own mind, which is why does a membership model make sense? And part of it is, you know, one, uh, I won't go into it. Um, you know, there's, uh, some wonderful books. One of my favorites is, um, I think it's called, oh, God, I'm going to have to think of the title and put it in the show notes, but it's something like Lessons of a Pricing Man or something like that. But it's basically a, a book all around pricing. One of the you know things that you learn is anytime you have a membership, you're just highly incentivized to be able to go and to utilize it and you want to use it as much as, as possible. So clearly that maybe is one positive angle. But another is changing it from billing for individual codes to just, no, you're going to Sign up for a subscription and we're going to get some revenue for you being a part of Forward, some revenue for you being a part of our network. Talk about the link between the membership model and, and is that related to getting the billing codes out of Forward? Because I'm guessing it is.
1: <laughs> so, okay. So if your goal is to keep somebody healthy and the first thing that you say is, um, I'm going to charge you to use the service. Think of how fucked up that. Sorry, I don't know how how G rated your podcast is, but clearly I curse too much, so I apologize. But um, but think of how fucked up that is, right? Like, hi, I want to keep you healthy. Step one: charge you every time you want to engage your doctor. It's like, come on, like there's not even like there's not even like. Like they're not even subtle about it, right? Between copays and high deductibles, it's like, come on, guys! Like, can you at least pretend? Can you like at least like lie to me about it? So we just started really basic. It was like, no, we actually want you to use the service, right? But then there's another element that's really important to understand, which is like, think about why they're in that business. Why they're in the business of charging you? It's because again, they can't afford it. They can't afford to keep you healthy, and it's because they're a service. And so it only makes sense to live in a world where you're pushing utilization of a, of, of your product if it's a pro, if it's a technology product right it's not like like think about it this way you have health insurance why do you have health insurance well i don't know i might get hit by a bus i might get you know i might have to use it a lot do you have gmail insurance no but i might send you a thousand emails today you don't know yeah, but you don't care, right? Because the, the incremental cost of 1,000 emails is like 0. 0.001 penny. Like, who cares, right? Google's not like, we're going to charge you more. And so the the fundamental, the fundamental insight is like, it only works if the cost of, of the, providing that product or that service is truly, truly roughly zero, right? And so the whole trick of forward is we have to figure out how to keep you healthy for roughly zero cost if it is expensive for us to keep you healthy none of this works so we wanted from day one our incentives to be both to keep you healthy and to make it cheap in fact what's really awesome is the cheaper we can make it the healthier you get the more your retention goes up the more money we make think of how awesome this is right so you have, yeah so, so great so so what you have is here's our competition okay You've got a healthcare system today where every year the price is going up, right? The price is going up, and literally they're giving you less and less value, right? Between high deductibles and copays. Okay, now forward, think of us. Every year we're giving you more value, and literally we want to lower our price. Like any tech company, we're just like, we'll just keep driving the cost down. We're $149 a month, we're going to 99 $79, 59 and we're just... Okay. So at some point you're like, it's not a question of when it's a question of, uh, sorry, it's not a question of if it's a question of when it's inevitable that, that at some point the entire world will be on Ford unless Ford dies. Like at some point, like you will all move to this model, whether it's Ford or some other company that does it, of course, you're going to move to healthcare as a product. It's inevitable. And that's what we wanted. We wanted to have the right incentives because look, look, you know, one medical's got I don't know 100 engineers. Y- y- you know, uh, United Healthcare has a thousand engineers, I don't know two thousand, five thousand engineers. But all these people are working on billing codes, right? Bill ways to bill you. All my engineers they're working on ways to keep you alive. Literally, I have engineers working on cancer prevention programs, I have engineers working on blood pressure programs, engineers working on uh, skin cancer programs, working on diabetes programs, working on mental health programs. That's what my engineers work on. They literally work on ways to keep you alive. Do you know how many engineers I have working on billing software? Like, I don't know, one, maybe? Half of one, quarter of one? I mean, our billing really easy. It's like, we bill you once a month, that's it. I don't know, we haven't touched it in a while. It's not that interesting.
0: (laughs) it's clear. I mean, when you talk about this divergence of, uh, which is true, I mean, one of the stats that staggered me when I was, uh, you know, I think everyone knows that healthcare is broken in some regard. One of the stats digging in, preparing for this interview that uh, is mind-boggling to be super frank, is that at the national level in the U.S., we spend around 20% of GDP on healthcare. And internationally, if you look at many other uh, countries, it's something like three to 5%. You know that, and then I think about your analogy of every single year, healthcare is getting more expensive and you're getting less for it, which has definitely been my experience. And what you're trying to provide is a decreasing cost and increasing benefit, I feel like if this was happening in any other space, like if this was happening in crypto, if this was happening in fi- finance, people would say, this is unsustainable. This is going to blow up, uh, you know, and, and start making predictions. Why is why, why is that conversation not happening with healthcare? Like how much more can this take up of our national GDP and where does this end?
1: So let me give you my contrarian view that nobody agrees with me on, Okay. I think that insurance isn't going to, like health insurance is not going to exist in the U.S. in the next few decades. I think it's going to topple. And let me tell you why. Because of exactly what you said. So let's just kind of, let's just take a step back. You have to ask why, why are we not talking about it? And we're not talking about it because the reason it's so successful at stealing money from all of us is because it's regulatory capture. Right? Um, we don't negotiate it, right? It's negotiated by our employers, and frankly, they don't negotiate it because they're they can't really do anything about it, right? It's like, I'm an employer, I have to pay for health insurance, I've got three options, so you know what? Fuck it. I'm gonna do it. And they go up every year and I don't really have a choice, so that's it, right? So at the end of the day, the employee can't negotiate it well, the employer can't negotiate it well, so we're all fucked. In fact, it's even worse. You ever been in an ambulance and gotten a bill like for like thousands of dollars? You ever take a step back and just think about like you me think about why it's like kind of kind of really fascinating right so just imagine if uber ran ambulances so it's like uber x ten dollars uber uh uber black 35 dollars. uber ambulance four thousand dollars like what what was that delta where the you know thirty nine hundred dollars come from right and it's like okay is an ambulance a two million dollar vehicle no an ambulance is roughly the same cost as an suv right like okay But the paramedic inside is way more expensive than an SUV driver. No, not really. They're about the same. Hmm. Well, it, uh, is the consumables, like are the meds and the cotton balls they gave you really expensive? No, it's about like, I don't know, 10, 20 bucks. So like, what the fuck? Where did all this money go? And you quickly realize it's just that like you couldn't negotiate it. And so all of a sudden you realize like all of this is just robbery, right? It's literally just robbery. And so what, what, I, what I iterate to is like there's no, fundamental, there's no fundamental actual reason for it. There's no first principles reason. None of us have the ability to actually negotiate And we all know this, like we all know, ah, I got a medical bill. I just got like, I just got like totally like, you know, taken and, and, uh, and, uh, and stolen from in essence. And so at some point what you realize is we all hate the insurance industry so much that they're pushing their luck. And so if I were the insurance industry, actually what I would do right now is just stop. I just like, keep it where it is and just be like 20% is really like, I'm, I'm literally like. I've got a good deal, I should just not fuck with it, but they're not stopping. In fact, they're they're not stopping to the point of increasing roughly 6 to 7% year over year. Doesn't sound that bad except you know what's what the doubling time of that is? Roughly 11 years. Which means in 11 years it's going to be 40%. Okay, one decade from now, it's going to be 40% of GDP. Another that sounds abstract. So let's say that in another way. 40% of your paycheck. Okay. For you, I'm not that worried. How about the guy at McDonald's? I worry. Okay. That's, that's fucking, that's revolt time. That's riot time. You know what I mean? That's like, this isn't okay. So I actually think what you're going to find is you're going to find a pretty material. Like they're opening, they're, they're opening up their own, uh, their own attack vector, right? Like they're, they're literally like, I tell people like forwards marketing opportunity just gets better every, every year. All I have to do is just do the same exact, even if I just kept my product the same, more and more customers will come to me every year cuz it's like literally cheaper than using your deductible it's insane right and so yeah i i actually think that um i actually think that the, what they're doing is incredibly stupid for themselves um and what you're going to find is that uh is that we start to push back as consumers much harder in the coming decades mm-hmm.
0: well i think that makes sense so count me as maybe one other person that agrees with you on that <laughs> the i mean the thing that's staggering as well too is not only has that you know as you talked about that's uh, inflated, you know, six to seven percent year over year. So it's roughly doubling every 11 years, which is staggering. I mean, you know, if this was an investment opportunity, people would be leaping up to invest in this healthcare, you know, kind of profit margin or revenue that's going up every single year. And then you compare that with has America gotten healthier or has America gotten less healthy? And what you see is America has gotten shockingly less healthy and less well, you know, decade over decade over decade. And so one of the questions I want to ask, I mean, and this is one of the reasons I was so excited to have you on is. Um, you know, this idea that there's reactive healthcare and then there's proactive kind of health maintenance or proactive health, and they seem very, very, very different. And, you know, so one, I guess one of the questions I was just curious to ask is, what are you hearing from the average everyday consumer? Because I feel like there's a pretty small percentage of people, I would say generally, that are focused in a real way in their life on health, meaning they're trying to exercise every single day. They're eating well every single day. They're just trying to make good, smart choices. You know, and you talked about some of the silly examples of that, whether it's method soap or an organic smoothie being the difference, which it definitely is not. What are you, what are you seeing in terms of like what needs to change about the way people approach health in general and how how do you think you can shape that at forward? How are you trying to shape that at forward?
1: So I'm actually, I actually want to push back a little. Um, you said people are getting less healthy and I'm not sure that's true, but uh, uh, it's not like we're like, you know, if I if I use the metric of just like how long are we living um, as a really naive metric. The lifespan's true, but like diabetes,
0: weight gain, obesity. <laughs> yeah.
1: Those, those are going to correlate obviously with the duration that we live. But But let me just go kind of a step further, right? Which is like, Let's just kind of take a step back. And I want to ask you a question, but let me just take a step back. I actually want to take maybe a different posit, which is I'm not sure the healthcare system matters. And by that, what I mean is if you took that entire, that 20% of GDP, that entire healthcare system today, and literally just leveled it, just said, close every hospital, close every doctor's office, close everything, I'm not sure it matters. Let me kind of, let me give you, let me give you a way to think about it. If I look at data going as far back as humanly possible, I go back to like the bronze age, the neolithic age, right? How long did people live? You know? 30 years. No, it's actually pretty amazing. So, so infant mortality was pretty high, right? You basically like you died on the vine with high probability. If you didn't die on the vine, so there was roughly about a third of kids died on the vine. If you didn't die on the vine, you know how long you lived? 47 years on average. You know Today? Today? Seventy-two on average. Less than 50 percent, roughly? OK, now let's compare that to something else. In the Neolithic age, you walked around on literally bare feet. OK? Best in a day, you could walk, I don't know, five, 10 miles. A few years later, we created shoes. Actually, about a cut about a1,000 years later, we created shoes. Now we could walk 10 or 20 miles. Then we created river boats. We could get 50 miles. Then what we do? We create. Then we start. We learn to tame horses, fifty miles, maybe even a hundred miles. Then think of all the advancements. Then we created hot air balloons. We started to get like I don't know three hundred miles. Then we created. Uh, then we created. Planes. We started to get hundreds and hundreds, like literally a thousand miles. We we eventually created like trains that cross countries. We created space shuttles that took us to to the moon. And now we literally are working on like you know like uh, SpaceX is t- trying to take us to like Mars. We've we've gone from like five miles to one hundred and twenty five million miles. Right? It's not like oh, we went 50% increase, we went orders upon orders upon orders of magnitude in terms of the distance we can travel. And at the same time, over roughly that same, let's call it about 7,000 year period, we increased our lifespan by, you know, 45, 50%. What it shows you is that the healthcare, healthcare industry is roughly doing nothing at this point. Like, I, I mean, really, it's trivial. A global pandemic occurred, and the first thing we said is put a piece of paper over your mouth. Like, that's our solution. We're in the shoes phase. We're nowhere. And so now you have to ask yourself, it's like, yeah, we can go ahead and debate about like, you know, uh, what are the incentives and what is this and what is that? But like, at some point, we just, we don't have the product, right? The product is immature and the product is crap. And so I think in some ways, the number one most important thing is we need the rate of innovation to really fundamentally change. If you look at transportation, transportation in the last roughly 200 years went through this massive inflection, right? You literally went from like planes, trains, and automobiles, and like you just like skyrocketed, no, no pun intended. Well, where's my, where's, my, where's, where's my like spaceships and rockets? Where's my skyrocketing in healthcare? It has yet to occur. And this is what technology brings to bear, right? When I walk up to a doctor and I say, "Do you know something? Hey, did you hear the latest about blah?" They download a PDF and they read it. Well, that's bullshit, right? Like PDFs in the year 2022 is the, the way we communicate knowledge. Like, where is my where are my apps? Where's my infrastructure, right? Like this is what we need. We need technology in the world of healthcare. But nobody's created the tools right? And that's what we want to create at Forward, right? We want to create a platform whereby the entire world of healthcare starts, starts working together and the rate of innovation starts going through the roof. Because until we get there, we're never going to get healthcare to go exponential the same way that transportation's got exponential. If I came up to you in ancient, in ancient Greece and said, I'm going to Mexico for a weekend, you'd be like, that's the most absurd thing I've ever said, Right? But today, of course, it's like that's that's a you know common phrase. In fact, in ten or twenty years, going to Mars might be a. Of course, I'm going to Mars. Sure, why not, right? But today, if I tell you like, hey, I'm going to live to three hundred, you're like, yeah, that's insane. Well, why? Why is living to three hundred insane? That should be a very common thing, right? It's just we have never inflected the arc of time in the same way we've inflected the arc of travel, and that's something that we need to do. And so, so. I think like where, where we're really, where we're really missing, uh, missing the boat right now is, is fundamentally we have yet to create the tools necessary to truly get healthcare to the point that it needs to be at. And that's the part that I'm most excited by far more than the incentives, far more than the, than the, than the, uh, than, than the system that we have today. Now, then you said, okay, but what's the difference between the sick care and the healthcare? And, and I think that's important, but fundamentally, those become the byproduct of having the right product underneath. Today, you go, when you want healthcare, you buy a smoothie and you go to Peloton. And when you want sick care, you go to Kaiser. But fundamentally, when I look at all of these, I go, sure, those are great behaviors, but they're all the shitty product. Give me the best product and then go layer those behaviors on top.
0: I mean, I love that you, you know, Zoned in I think in a very in a very correct way on the rate of innovation and the rate of change i mean because what it makes obvious is one there hasn 't been really any iteration if this was if healthcare was a traditional um, you know, technology company it would have, uh, you know, imploded many, many, many decades ago because it wouldn't have gone anywhere. And so, what you're focused on is the rate of innovation, the rate of change, the, the rate of iteration. And obviously, that immediately makes sense as soon as you apply that to products and to technology. And you, and you take that approach. I want to wrap up with two questions and then and then talk a little bit about lessons learned. And one of the questions I want to ask is, you know, when you talk about this uh, this experience that you're creating, this experience you've already created for patients at Forward, it is very clearly very clearly sounds like a superior experience for patients. Obviously on the other side of that equation are doctors. And, you know, the goal is obviously one to get doctors to actually have leverage, which I imagine as a doctor, I would like, you know, I, I know about all this data. I know about all this technology. Let me use it and let it help me become kind of superhuman in my capabilities that obviously frees up time. What do you hope? What do you think that doctors will be able to do with freed up time with actual leverage?
1: Yeah. So one of the things that you have to ask yourself is what do you want to spend your days doing? Right. And one of the, so I'm an engineer, I'm a nerd. And so, um, when I was growing up, I used to, uh, I used to be like the neighborhood kid who fixed computers. Um, I don't know if you remember when you were growing up. Um, uh, you remember like Best Buy had, I think what they called, they called them the geek squad, right? You know, those guys in like the blue shirts that would like drive to your house. They still have them. They still have them. Okay. (laughs) So, um, so this is actually kind of funny, right? Because they would like, I, everybody call them, they come to your house, they fix your computer. I haven't called them in ages. I don't know anybody who's called them for, in ages. I don't even know how you know they still exist because I've never seen them around.
0: I think I've seen their van.
1: Okay, okay. But, but ask yourself, like they were super common back then and they're not super common now. So like why? What changed? And what you realize is like Geek Squad still exists. They just exist in a very different form, right? It's like these days there's like there's a 1,000 people at Apple like sitting in a room watching, watching you know, a whole bunch of monitors just going, oh, look, these 20 million iPhones are running out of space. Let's deploy a fix. These 20 million iPhones have malware. Let's deploy a fix. These 20 million iPhones, whatever, they're slowing down. Let's deploy a fix. So we went from like we fix computers one at a time to we design systems that fix computers. Now, yeah, there's sometimes it's like, oh, it turns out we can't fix this one remotely. Let's go ahead, bring it in. it's called the genius, right? But like these days we become massively more efficient. We've gone from like, I don't know, the IT person that fixes one at a time to let's just build systems for all, right? Now, think think about like me. So I was at Google. I worked on the search engine. And like when I sat down to work, I sat down at this thing called the laptop, which is like Let's be real. The sum culmination of all human advancement in this like beautiful two-pound device. And when I sat down to work, I could write code that, I shit you not, literally went out to three billion people later today. Three billion people. When a doctor sits down to work, they can affect one person. One. One. That's, That's embarrassing. That's embarrassing. <laughs> now ask yourself why. Is it because I'm smarter than doctors? No. Because I'm more altruistic, obviously. No, it's quite the opposite. Oh, clearly it's because I'm more educated. I went to more school. No, the opposite. Why? Oh, it's simple. I have better tools. That's it. I just have better tools. So if you build the doctors better tools, what you realize is they will get out of dealing with your fucking flu and and snivelly nose and all that crap, and they start moving into the more interesting stuff, right? If they're going to go to med school for 10 years, dear God, why are they dealing with your runny nose? It's absurd. Have them deal with cancers. Have them deal with heart disease, right? Have them deal with the stuff that matters, not your runny nose.
0: It's well said. I want to ask one more question uh, and it speaks a little bit to the, to the model um, that you guys have it for. We didn't touch on this in the previous in the interview, and I just want to make sure that we cover it. One of the things that's also fascinating to me about what you're doing is you're trying to bring every specialty in-house in one location. And what I mean by that is, you know, if you go to a forward appointment, you're going to get, you're going to get your heart looked at. You're going to have a conversation about your blood pressure. They're going to look at your weight. They're also going to look and monitor things like skin cancer where today that doesn't happen at all in the doctor's office. And to your point, I'm probably only going to go and find a dermatologist if I'm freaked out about something and things are already, already bad. So clearly just playing that out for 30 seconds makes no sense. How much of a revelation was it to try to move everything in under one house, under one location? And did you have to push back against, I don't know, doctors saying, well, I don't do that or no, I want to be a specialist. Like what did you have to change or mold or shape to be able to do that? Well, if you take
1: a step back, specialties don't really make sense for like, a bunch of different reasons, but let's go with with one or two of them. The first is it, specialties presume independence between body systems, and I've never understood this. Right. So, um, if you have a local issue, I've got something on my skin. Great, go to the dermatologist. You're good to go. But the second you have a complex issue, right? Uh, I actually do. I've got an issue where uh, that manifests um, where my skin has some issues. And it turns out I get dizzy. And it turns out that those are the exact same issue. They're a sensitive nerve issue that, it, that manifests with both. Great. What doctor do I go to? Well, you go to the skin, the skin doctor and they push you to the other doctor and pushes you back and you. Well, it just turns out your body's not all filled with independent systems. Your body's one body, right? So now what do you do? Right? And you see this all the time. Go to any go to any healthcare system and you just see the person get bounced back and forth and bounce back and forth and bounce back and forth. So then you start asking yourself, wait a minute, from first principles, why did we iterate to this? Like how did we even end up with this specialty concept? And does it make sense? Is it right? And and I'll tell you. Um, it turns out that the uh, the ancient Greeks um, uh, and Romans like totally fucked us on this one. So if you were in Mesopotamia um, back, uh, sorry, this is my history lesson for the day. Um, if you're in Mesopotamia back, back in the day um, and you were fairly, uh, you were part of the aristocratic class, you were fairly wealthy um, and you wanted to go to school, it's called college you went to, this is what's called, you got a, a liberal arts education. That's where the phrase came from. And it turns out that there were seven subjects, which were called the trivium and the quadrivium, three and four uh, subjects. Now imagine at the time that these subjects, there weren't like a whole bunch of books. So imagine that there were three books and four books. There were seven books laid out on a table, and these were the seven subjects. You read these seven books, and you were the liberal arts scholar. Then somebody a little later keeps researching, and he's like, but but I've got some new knowledge and I want to go put something on one of these stacks. And remember, there's only seven subjects. It's like rhetoric and writing and math, et cetera, right? So they come and they take their body of of knowledge and they put it on top of one of these books. Now imagine one of these books is biology. turns out it wasn't that one came a few hundred years later, but we'll pretend. So now this biology starts branching out human biology. Human biology branches out and eventually becomes whatever, cardiology and nephrology, et cetera. And you start branching into subjects because the human human mind isn't good at understanding everything and researching everything. But that's very different than saying that's how the human body works. Just because you can't learn everything, it doesn't mean that's how we operate. And yet this is the education system that we've created. The education system, frankly, makes no sense. And so the first thing that we realized is exactly what you and I discussed earlier. We've created a healthcare system that practices by solution, not by problem. That's a mistake. So what we realized is you don't actually want a dermatologist and a, uh, and a cardiologist. What you want is to prevent heart attacks. Now, you might prevent heart attacks by, uh, by changing your diet, by exercising, by you know whatever it is you you want you don't want as for example like you want a cancer prevention app right uh or cancer prevention problem now how do you prevent cancer well it might be a vaccine it might be sequencing your dna it might be putting sunscreen on each of those has different solutions do you see how those cross boundaries those cross domains you've seen this play out in your life so before your iphone you had a digital camera, you had a walkman, and you had, um, you had a Garmin GPS unit. Let's just think of each of those as solutions. Then as soon as you got your iPhone, what'd they do? They, they kind of migrated those over. I had the maps app, the camera app, and the music app. Again, all very solution specific. But then over time, what'd they do? Well, they, they kind of realized like developers realized, yeah, those are solutions. It's more interesting to work on problems. So they started to innovate. And now the most popular apps are, I don't know, TikTok. Well, what is TikTok? Is it the camera app? Is it the music app? Is it the. Well, it's kind of all of these combined, right? And what you realize is like we are too attached to the solution, not attached enough to the problem. And so at Ford, from the beginning, we said it makes no sense to presume that all these things are independent because that's just not how we operate as humans.
0: Very well said. I want to ask two final questions. One is, you know, we talked a lot. We just talked, you just talked a second ago about focusing on problems again and and not solutions. So I'm curious if you can share what are the most interesting problems that you're working on now at Forward? And we obviously talked about the meta problem that's probably not going to change, which is creating the most world's most scalable healthcare system. But I imagine, again, as we talked about, you're always innovating. I imagine you're working on some interesting problems now, what are some of those problem spaces?
1: Yeah, man, we're working on a lot. Um, one of the biggest things we are working on right now, um, without giving too much detail away, is uh, there's. I'll give you kind of two problems. The first is um, is how do you expand the reach of forward? So if you think of healthcare, not um, uh, if you think of healthcare as an infrastructure problem, how do I make it so I can put forward on every street corner? How do I put forward all around you? How do I make it so that healthcare truly, truly is everywhere that you want to be? This is a really hard problem, right? Um, uh, today, um, you know, Kaiser is seventy-five years old and has seven hundred locations. But what if I told you that I wanted forward to have uh, seven thousand locations? What would that look like, and how do you even? Think about it. That's the first hard problem. And the second one that we're spending a lot of time thinking about is uh, is what you and I talked about earlier, which is how do we increase the rate of innovation in in healthcare? Right. So so I was looking. Uh, I think the ICD-10, which is the billing the billing code system, which I hate, but um uh, but it's one of the only places post- got a wonderful name. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> It's true. Um, It's one of the only places where where I can find somebody that just gives me a list of diagnoses outside of like the DSM, which is just mental um, disorders. So the the ICD ten has I think order of fourteen thousand like diagnoses codes. Okay, so. Uh, you go up to any doctor, if they know, if they know like 14,000 diagnoses on, off the top of their head, it'd blow my mind, right? So now you have to ask yourself like, okay, now imagine you wanted to uh, you wanted to create the world's best solution for 14,000 um, issues, right? Uh, by the way, that's, as you said, 14,000 sick care issues. There's no health care issues, right? there's no There's no run a faster marathon in there. There's no become more empathetic in there. Like, you know, obviously we're just barely scratching the surface. But now ask yourself, Even if you started with the most basic, most trivial definition of these issues, which is 14,000, I think there should be 140,000, but let's start with 14,000. How do I get to a world where we have defined the world's most perfect solution for those 14,000 issues, right? Most most healthcare systems today, they sit around and they say, well, how am I going to define the solution for 10 issues? How am I going to do my, my you know, my breast cancer, my, my heart disease, my, my skin cancer? And it, it very quickly starts to trail off after your first five or 10. But that's not the world we live in, right? The world we live in is the internet has millions and billions of websites, right? Your phone has millions of apps. Like, how do we get to that world? And that doesn't exist in the world of healthcare today. Now, how do we get to a world where not only have we defined those, but we're, we're innovating on them so rapidly that we become best in class in all of them immediately, right? Or, or overnight? That's, that's what we're thinking about, right? The, the trick is we don't believe at Ford that we're going to have the answers to all of these, but we believe that we might be able to power a world where if all of us come together across society, we can come to the best answers for all of these.
0: Yeah. It's, I, I feel like I've heard that second problem where basically what you're saying is you want to approach it systematically. You want to be able to address, you know, a like a truly massive scale of symptoms and of problems and of data. You know, it's almost like building the machine that builds the machine. And so you're working on that aspect of building forward, which is really interesting. The last question I want to ask, and um, thank you so much for the time I could ask you a thousand other questions. It's been a fascinating conversation. But if I had to ask just one more question, you know, I I would love to talk for a second about Forward's culture. You talked at the beginning about problem orientation. That seems like a fascinating pillar of a company, of a culture. And you talked about one of the ways that happens at Forward, which is in these jam sessions where you beat up on ideas and you focus everybody on the problem and kind of reorient everybody. I'm sure it's probably painful (laughs) for new people that join Forward. What are there other aspects of Forward that are interesting and that are similarly diametrically opposed to how most, most companies are run or how most people think about approaching stuff.
1: Yeah. So those aren't the ones that truly matter. Um, Those are are things we, uh, we do, but I'm going to tell you, there's only one thing that truly, truly, truly matters, which is we are at forward for the mission. And when I say that, there are a lot of companies that say we're mission oriented companies. We're not a mission oriented company. I want to be super clear. We are not a company that happens to have a mission attached. We're a mission that happens to have a company attached. If you told me tomorrow the best way to get healthcare to a billion people is to crash the company, well, by God, let's fucking crash the company, right? We are here to get healthcare to a billion people, right? We'll either get healthcare to a billion people or we will leave an enormous crater of destruction in our path to do so. That's why we're here. And you know what? I'm gonna be candid, because there's a lot of people who might listen to this who are like, oh, I wanna go work it forward. Well, let's just be really clear. It fucking sucks. It really does. It's really awesome. Everybody's like, I want to go work in a mission-oriented company. No, like, no, you don't. It sucks. Because think about it. You know what? It's like going, like, here, here's what it's like. Imagine you walked up to your coach and you're like, "I wanna, I wanna win, I want to win gold at the Olympics. Awesome. Sounds great. And you know what, coach? I'm willing to do whatever it takes except, you know, uh, you know, I only want to work nine to five and I, you know, want to take seven weeks of vacation and I want to eat Cheetos and I want to... No, you don't get to do all that. You're not going to win gold at the Olympics. It's fucking hard. What we want to do is really, really, really hard, right? We're trying to win gold. And you know what? We don't, we don't deserve to get healthcare to a billion people. Like we don't deserve to change the world. It's really hard. And so it takes material sacrifice, right? And so the reality is we are here for people... That aren't us. We are here in service of others. The only thing that matters at Ford, the only thing that matters more than anything else truly is that we're here, not for ourselves. Right. And that's not, that's uncomfortable, especially in Silicon Valley, where we all have become, let's be real, pretty fucking entitled these days. But the reality is like, we're not here because we care about the IPO. We're not here because we care about our careers. We're not here because we care about our, I don't know, this, that, and the other. We're here because the truth is, there's actual people with real problems. There's kids dying in Rwanda and India. And I know that sounds really kitschy, but it's, it's real. And you and I don't have trouble putting food on the table, right? And so that's why we're here. That, everything we do is in service of that. So when you say, why do you focus on the problem rather than the solution? It's in service of that. Why do you focus on beating up the ideas? Well, it's in service of that. Everything we do is in service of our mission. That's it. That's all I care about.
0: Super well said. I mean, it makes me think of the military. It makes me think of, you know, uh, c- like competing in a sport at the highest levels. All of it requires enormous amount of skin in the game, enormous sacrifice, and it's very painful to get there. <laughs> and the wonderful things are just byproducts of all the hard work and all the pain and all the suffering. Um, so I, you know, love that you shared that in the very unvarnished way that you did. Thank you so much for coming on, Adrian. This has been fascinating. And I hope that people listen, obviously have learned about your unique approach to building forward. Um, and I hope that people listen listening, try. If you have a forward in your city, go and look at it, give it a try. I think you'll be really impressed and really fascinated. Thank you for the time, Adrian.
1: Not at all. It's a pleasure, man.
0: Thank you so much for listening to this episode. You can find the show notes and transcript at outlieracademy.com slash 118. That's 118. You can learn more about forward at goforward.com and you can follow Adrian on Twitter at A-D-R-I-A-N-A-O-U-N. At outlieracademy.com, you can find all of our other founder interviews profiling incredible companies like Eight Sleep, Common Stock, Varda Space Industries, Superhuman, Primal Kitchen, 1-800-GOT-JUNK, and many, many others. In every interview, we deconstruct the ideas, frameworks, and strategies these founders use to build these incredible companies. You can also find all of our video interviews on YouTube at youtube.com slash outlieracademy. On our channel, you'll find all of our full-length interviews as well as our favorite short clips from every episode, including this one. So make sure to subscribe. We post new videos and clips every single week. And if you haven't already, follow us on Twitter and LinkedIn under the handle Outlier Academy. Thank you so much for listening. We'll see you right here with a brand new episode next Wednesday.